Welcome to episode number 52, The Light in the Darkened Tunnel. I am your host, Damon Soka. I have decided today to address something very personal to me that I discussed only briefly in the last podcast. How I came to my testimony of Jesus Christ, his atonement, his gospel, his church, and his prophets while battling a severe bipolar disorder. Thus the title, Light in the Darkened Tunnel. Now, my intent is not to lay out a personal, individualized plan for the listener. I don't really believe that can be done. Well, except in a general sense, a testimony is deeply personal and individual. And the general concepts of obtaining a testimony are often well-known and frequently spoken about in church meetings and other settings, and especially in other sources of church doctrine. I do realize that there might be some listening to this podcast who are newer members of the church and may not have the basic background of how to obtain and maintain a testimony. Now, However, as I talk about my experience, I think those concepts will come through in the details. So where to start? Now, I guess I will start where almost everyone does, at least in the sense of learning what is true. Where, when, and how do we learn truth? What I learned... Starting started with my parents, my peers, schooling, and of course my culture. I think that we all start in the same place, at least in the sense of where we learn our truth. And now what we learn is probably going to vary significantly. If I had been born in the old USSR or in Africa or maybe even the South Pacific or China versus where I was born, which was in the northwestern United States, the truths I learned would have likely differed significantly. I realize now that I'm stating the obvious, but it is important to understand where your truth comes from and why you believe the way you do. We all learn what we believe from what we are taught, experience, and know, and from those we trust. How do you know what you know? Now, how you know what you know is as important as the knowledge itself, and sometimes even more important. Now, there comes a time when we test the truths we know, and that testing comes in stages and different ages and times in our lives. Now, for instance, many of us learn very early what hot and cold does to our bodies. And of course, we learn about pain. We burn ourselves, our hands hurt from cold snow. I think you understand what I'm saying. Like almost every other child in the world, I began my world of truth by testing what I had been taught by my parents or those around me. It is important to understand that we each have our own world of truth that we keep. The saying, perception is reality, is far truer than most of us would like to admit. Things we believe and we have experienced, things we are testing, things we have found to be wrong, things we have found to be right, all make up our own perception of the world and what we call truth. The reality is that our truth is very personal to us. And more importantly, my truth is not likely going to be the same as someone else's. Sure, we're likely to have similarities, especially if we grew up in similar cultures and time frames. But what I believe to be true and what you believe to be true might differ widely, depending upon a variety of factors, and that includes mental illness. Among all the things we know to be true, we also keep a small package or bag of unknown things we are unsure about. As life goes on, almost all of the concepts we are taught move in and out of the unknowns bag. 
that's how we test our truths. We have to question them personally and find our own answers. We as humans really, though, aren't very comfortable with the unknown's bag, and that is why it is often small. But it is an important part of who we are. Every one of us is going to question the foundations of the knowledge we have acquired as, as children. Well, at least, mo at least most of it. We do this by moving things in and out of this unknown's bag in our brains. This simply means that we are going to question where, when, and how we obtain the knowledge, and then decide through various means of personal research and experimentation whether it is going to stay within our personal truth or if we're going to discard it. Uh, this process of in and out of the unknown's bag is fairly consistent in the sense that almost all portions of truth and knowledge are going to be tested. There are just a couple of important items, though, about this unknown bag that should be noted or discussed. First, those of us who make it to the age of accountability are going to test most of our knowledge. In other words, to question what you have learned is actually a very good thing. We should be willing to bring things into our unknown bag and test and question them and experiment with them. And we should allow each of our fellow human beings the same courtesy. This is how we obtain knowledge of our physical world and a testimony of the spiritual world. Second, asking one question often leads to another. Truth is often interconnected. It is not isolated in parts. So don't be too concerned if one question leads you to another and then actually to another. Finally, you are going to have a variety of pressures from parents, peers, teachers, and others, other authority figures to find a particular answer to truth. And while their pressures can and often will guide you to very good answers and will guide you to the truth, they can also lead you away from the truth. It is very important that you obtain your own personal witness and that you are patient for that witness to come to you. Now I'm going to come to my part of the story. I wanted to set that background up as to where knowledge comes from before I jumped right into the middle of the difficulties surrounding obtaining and maintaining a testimony of spiritual and moral principles in the midst of mental illness. Now, I was taught very well the doctrines of the gospel from an early age. Now, when I say the doctrines, I really mean the various aspects of central church doctrine that emanate from the atonement of Jesus Christ. Now, most of those can be summed up in the 13 articles of faith and the questions that are in a temple recommend interview. There exist some advantages to having a good moral background from which to begin the testing process, but I don't believe that those advantages are so significant that they give me or anyone an ability to leapfrog the testing phase. No matter the background, we all have to test the knowledge we receive and obtain for ourselves our own personal witness. The important part of a testimony is obtaining spiritual knowledge and then testing that knowledge and finding out for ourselves what is true and what is not through spiritual means. Now, I know I make it sound as if we're just taking a true-false quiz. The reality of it is that accumulating knowledge rarely comes entirely clean to us for our testing, meaning that our sources for truth often attach their own biases, traditions, cultural references, and personal perspectives to what they teach. And for us to really get at what is true and what is not, we have to do some entanglement 
to undo some entanglement and bias. That often takes time, experience, and, of course, more questions. So our personal witness of truth, of one truth, may go through several phases of development, depending on how entangled and biased the truth might be. You should not fret if truths such as faith, the character of God, premortal life, the atonement of Jesus Christ, life after mortality, go through several revisions. Not only is truth interconnected with each other and often come with biases, but they have a tendency also to build upon one another. Now also note that patience is incredibly important when it comes to truth. I have had questions about certain doctrinal principles for years until I actually received the answer that I desired. Or the witness, I guess, is the best way to put, to put it. Sometimes the Lord needs to teach us other doctrines that do not necessarily seem to be related at the time to our question for us to fully understand the answer to our first question. Now, for my story, I'm not going to concern myself so much right now with where, when, and how I got the information of my truth. Although those aspects are incredibly important in the testing phase. Today, I'm going to focus on the witness side of things. As that is where most often those of us with mental illness struggle. I have never had any difficulty questioning anything. It was just part of my nature. And I also find that to be true for most people who suffer with mental illness. Doubt, questions, unknowns come far too easily for those of us who suffer through the emotional throes of a darkened mind. When you don't feel as though things are right in your life, it has a tendency to put you into question mode. Why am I feeling this way? What is causing it? Why am I not feeling the same things that others talk about? Why can't I feel happy, content, loving, kind? Why am I not feeling the spirit? Why are they feeling the spirit? Often, far more, from my experience, often far more questions come than answers to those questions during mental illness episodes. When it comes to spiritual matters and a witness of those things we cannot really see with our physical or natural eyes, it is really a witness that is incredibly important to us. We cannot always test spiritual laws and principles similar to the sense that we do physically, in that the physical senses of sight, smell, touch, taste, and hearing would be part of the witness. To hear a voice in a spiritual, as a spiritual witness is rare. And to see something spiritual with our physical eyes as a witness is even rarer. Most often our witnesses must come through our spiritual senses. Now those senses are often described as feelings of the heart and mind and soul. Words such as words and emotions such as love, peace, joy, enlightenment are used to describe the experience of a witness of truth. Now, this is where my difficulties begin with bipolar disorder. And I would assume the same with depression, because depression comes with the bipolar disorder. When chemical processes control the emotional states of the body, as it did with me, I learned very quickly not to trust my emotions for confirmations of anything, spiritual or even physical. I simply couldn't. More often than not, my emotions were deceptive. My emotional state rarely matched my true conditions in life. 
life could be going very well in every sense of the word well from the outside. But I could feel from the inside as though the world was crashing down on me. Logically, I could see and understand I had no real major issues or concerns in my life, and life was going actually pretty well. But emotionally, it was entirely different. So I began early in my life to rely more on logical conclusions about my life and what was, I thought, really true logically, rather than how I felt about things. Now, I do say that knowing full well that I could never fully extract myself from what I was feeling. I don't believe that it is possible to fully and completely extract yourself from your emotional state. It is, after all, a part of who we are as a person. But I did begin early to rely more heavily upon logical conclusions rather than how I felt about spiritual subjects. Now, the wonderful thing about the gospel is that if you look at it from a from an eternal perspective of celestial communities living together in love and peace with one another, logically and rationally, in the mind, the doctrinal pieces of faith, covenants, families, atonement of Jesus Christ, consecration, actually fit together very nicely. One can make very good arguments for the law of consecration in the sense of meaning each individual concerned for the welfare of the whole community. I think it's fairly obvious that selfishness, by its nature, breaks down societies and runs them into destruction and ruin. If you look at the atonement of Jesus Christ from the perspective of trust, then a savior makes actually perfect sense. If our Father's power over the universe is based in love, trust, and fairness, then it stands to reason that anyone violating that trust could not hold the same power as our Father they would simply not be trustworthy enough. However, if you provide for a perfect being that is trustworthy, who has experienced vicariously the violations of trust, we call sin, who can then examine the circumstances and the process of reformation, we call repentance, you can then actually logically provide for someone who was deemed untrustworthy to be trustworthy again, or what we typically just shorten to be worthy. While that is somewhat of an oversimplification of the atonement, it is important in that rationally, logically, I can see the need for a savior. Now, while there is certainly many more examples in the gospel, as you work through each piece of the gospel puzzle, it was not difficult for me to find the rational and logical expansive explanation for the entirety of the gospel. Now, that was very important to me. I had little trust in my emotions, so to provide me with an emotional witness during a depression or even during the mania was really not going to leave me with an enduring witness of the truth. I could not trust emotional impressions. And if I can't trust the impression because of my issues with the illness, then an emotional witness probably was not going to be my method of understanding what was true and what was not. Now, the secondary difficulty associated with my emotional state was that when I was doing something that I knew logically was the right thing to do, I could and often did feel negative persuasive emotions. Now, I've discussed how difficult it became at times to attend church. Now, to feel despair and pain and unhappiness or to feel nothing while attending church meetings where 
intended to be spiritual, creates a very difficult negative association in the mind. And then what follows is a terrible inner turmoil. I knew that attending church was and is a commandment and that I should be feeling what others termed was the spirit or the fruits of the spirit. But many times I could not feel anything but the depression. So not only did I not trust my emotional state, but I knew that it could deceive me even when I was doing good and that it would associate negative feelings with good actions. So eventually I did what anyone would do in that circumstance, and that was to turn to the more logical, rational part of my soul to find my answers. It was there that I had my first experiences with a different kind of witness that provided the needed growth to my testimony and really that personal witness I needed of truth. Now, I can only call what I experienced as lighting something up, an expanding of the mind, and perhaps even a desire to learn more. In Alma 32 and in verse 28, we might gloss over this type of witness where he talks about the expansion and enlargement of the mind and soul as a method of the Lord providing for us a witness of truth. Now, in the end of the verse, Alma says this about this witness of truth, that truth beginneth to enlighten my understanding, yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. Now, when I began or when I understood this novel concept and that this enlightenment and the desire for greater understanding was my witness, a whole new world opened to me. I had always been far too concerned about the feelings that others had had of joy, peace, and love. I did want to feel what they did, but it simply wasn't going to be possible given my illness. So the Lord mercifully used one of the only types of witnesses really available to me, and that was the enlightenment of the mind and soul. The Lord would light up phrases and words and concepts in the scriptures so that I could understand and see better how they interrelated in the gospel. But this enlightenment was also my witness of the truth of it. He would explain concepts to me rationally and enlighten my mind upon their meaning so that I could see that they were true. So while I was always searching for those emotional moments others had, the Lord really taught me and witnessed to me in different ways so that I could fully understand what was true and what he wanted me to do. Now, if I attempted to follow a train of thought into areas that were not true, the enlightenment would often stop, and I would get what has been referred to in the Doctrine and Covenants as a stupor of thought, which is really the opposite of the enlightenment. The train of thought becomes undesirable, darkened, and I am unable to follow it through. Now, I know that when this process of enlightenment began in my life, I did not see it as a witness. I still fully expected some other kind of witness. I became frustrated when it would not come, or even when it did, whether I could trust that witness or not. Now, many people might not see that this type of witness of enlightenment about spiritual concepts in the mind is a witness. It's just putting pieces together in the puzzle and linking them. They might even refer to it as inspiration, but not meaning spiritual inspiration, but more in a physical sense of inspiration. The truth of the matter is, is that Alma refers to it as a witness. And for those of us who suffer from mental illness, 
it is by far one of the best ways to obtain truth about spiritual matters. Now, those of us who suffer are still going to feel depression of emotions, pain, anxiety, lack of purpose, and perhaps those who suffer with bipolar are going to feel mania. When we do the things we should, such as read the scriptures, go to church, attend the temple, but I have found that if I open my mind during those points and times and allow for the Lord to work through this enlightenment process by lighting up phrases and words and concepts and doctrine, I can actually participate in the gospel and grow my testimony through the enlightenment, even despite the ravaging of my emotions. Now, yes, mental illness is still tough, and there are still moments of despair, pain, lack of desire, some dark emotions, and deep personal trial, and sometimes struggle for me. Yes, I still often want to have the same type of spiritual moments as others talk about, but in the end, the Lord has not left me alone because of my illness and weaknesses and my physical and chemical issues. He has witnessed to me the same, and I know by those witnesses that I have received through the enlightenment process that what he has said is true. What is important to understand in all of this is for me, was not to limit the Lord in specific ways of communicating truth to me. Now, you may not have the same type of witness I did with this enlightenment, but the Lord will find a way to speak to you through the illness and around the illness. It may take some trial and error and time, and I would expect that if you searched your past experience, you would find that you might see the method he is using without you even seeing that he has given it as I did. I think that it is also important to understand that the Lord places people in our lives so that when we see and feel this enlightenment, he can help us to confirm our truth and our choices. We really don't have to walk through life on our own. If we are simply willing to be humble and listen, he will provide confirming voices and a method of providing personal revelation so that we know what to do, what is right, and where to go. Now, my real hope today is that in some way, this story of mine helps you in your difficulty to to see truth and really see a loving Savior who has provided a multitude of ways of communicating with his children despite the limitations placed upon us in mortality. Now, as always, keep up the fight, and the Lord will do his part. Talk to you next week.